we've got a mystery this morning. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this and hopefully be encouraged by it as we look at God's role in the church that sometimes we don't think about much. Um, And uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 to find out something about a mystery that Paul writes about. And uh, the big idea this morning is that the church was a mystery, and now the church reveals God's mystery to the world. So two questions we're going to ask ourselves uh, this morning as we take a look at this passage are, what is the mystery, and why was it hidden? What is the mystery, and why was it hidden? So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. It's been a favorite book of mine, and I want to share with you about the beauty of God's plan for the church. Uh, This book speaks of unity and service to God, and I think it has been a great use uh, of time for me in my life to study this carefully and to learn the riches of God and the peace he offers us so that we can live in that peace and grow together without any divisions between us. And I think it's good to tell you that uh, what Paul has written up to this point in Ephesians, because we haven't looked at this book on its own, um, so I'm just going to quickly go through the writings he had prior to this passage I'm about to read, uh, because it's important that we see things in context, because context is what? King. Context is king. We always want to look at Scripture within its context, and we want to evaluate what Paul is teaching as a whole and avoiding that dangerous practice that Christians sometimes do of pulling a verse here and there in order to teach something that may or may not even be in the text. And so I want to quickly go over what's uh, been happening up until here in the book of Ephesians. So in chapter 1, there's two important themes. Um, The first I will call spiritually blessed, and the second, Paul prays with power. So we see that Paul teaches that God planned out our salvation from the beginning of time, and that his grace is lavished upon us. He did this work of salvation on our behalf because it was his will to do so. And he considers us to be his inheritance. Paul also tells the Ephesians that he was constantly praying for the church, that they would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, and that they would realize the power they have. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And it may encourage you to know that I try to follow Paul's example and pray for these things for you as well. That you will live in power and in the promise of God and that you will grow in your knowledge of him and that you would also have the spirit of wisdom. And then in chapter 2, we had two more themes that I'll call dead together, alive together, where we learn we were dead in our sins, but those who find salvation are alive together in Christ. And then in verses 11 to 22 in chapter 2, we learn that Christ has already taken down the dividing walls of hostility. So there's no need for us to be at war against each other or for us to let our differences come in between uh, the way we worship um, or have joy and delight in the Lord. We can be thankful here at Oasis that we have the great privilege of worshiping together with all kinds of people who are different in many different ways, but one in Christ. And so far, a study into Ephesians can 
uh, you will see has been very exciting if you've done it before. Um, but God has a wonderful plan for his church. That's you and that's me. And I'm thrilled that so many of you express excitement at the thought that we can all worship together in spirit and in truth, no matter what little differences we have, as long as we have a mutual faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise the Lord, right? It's so exciting to be part of the church. Last night, I saw the church family at its finest, serving the family of Gustavo as they mourned and celebrated his life. I realized that there are some important uh, sports events in the coming weeks. God already knows who's going to win. If, if someone's going to be healed by some physical ailment, God knows who that will be as well. So in the end, it will be the stripes that win. Because the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. And many here can testify to the healing power of God. So let's take a look at this week's passage from Ephesians 3. The title of the sermon you can see up there, it's The Mystery. And I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll have the full context of it. So follow along with me as I read, and keep in mind these questions that we will be discussing. Again, the two questions. What is the mystery, and why was it hidden? What is the ministry, and why was it hidden? So let's read together. Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was, not, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So that's what Paul wrote in the first part of Ephesians 3. Now, many of you know that I love reading. And I love good novels that I can immerse myself in, and especially those that grab you, and they make you want to read as quickly as you can because you want to see what's going to happen, right? And I love many types of books, but one of those is the mystery or thriller novel. And I'm not talking about these modern ones that are really gruesome and all that. I think of Sherlock Holmes, right? 
and the fascination I had and still have with the interesting methods that the character of Sherlock Holmes would use to solve his crimes. With Sherlock Holmes, you read these stories that would often start with seemingly a clear path. You feel like you've got the solution to the crime. It's going to be easy to figure out. And yet there would be always what? A plot twist. The one you thought must have been guilty is cleared of suspicion, and you're left to follow the great detective as he unfolds the mystery. And often the solution is not revealed until the very final paragraphs. Then you would see the brilliance of Holmes as he reveals that he has noticed some tiny detail that no one else would have picked up. And then he uses that, along with logic, to detail how the crime took place and thereby helping to bring the perpetrator to justice. So most of us do love a good mystery, or at least we love a good story. And whether you enjoy reading stories or hearing them told or seeing them portrayed in a movie or a play, I do believe all of us love a good story. And not only can we learn about the greatest story ever told, the story of the redemptive plan of God found in the Bible, we actually are part of the story. We are the ones in the story that are saved by a hero. We are the ones in the story who were brought up poor but find out we have a great inheritance or great expectations. We're the ones in the story that be, who can become heroes ourselves by sharing the story with others. We're the characters in the story who find ourselves part of a family, though we were formerly orphans. We are the ones adopted into the house of the king. We are the ones who will live happily ever after. So here in our passage, Paul talks about a mystery. It's a mystery that generations before were unable to know, but is now being revealed. The mystery involves us and everyone who realizes their salvation in Jesus Christ. The mystery is an exciting story that we're just in the middle of now. And that one day it will reach its exciting climax when the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Christ, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the I Am, makes all things new. And we are part of that story. And part of the mystery that was there early in the story is now revealed to us. And Paul tells us that he is one of the ones privileged to reveal that mystery. So what is the mystery? Well, in, in the previous passages I just quickly uh, referenced for you, Christ had destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that was between Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews. And this is great news and means that for us today, there need be any, nothing at all that interferes with our living as the body of Christ in unity and in love. The fact that the Gentiles were joined together with the Jews into a new nation, or as Paul said, one new man in the place of two, is the mystery. Paul is saying here that this new group of people made up of all who put their faith for salvation in Jesus Christ is the mystery. And Paul, in his marvelous encounter with Jesus, has been told that he would bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And up until the time of Christ, no one understood that there would be a unity between Gentile and Jew, at least not the way the gospel presents. And that is because God had not revealed that part of his plan yet. 
Although the Old Testament uh, prophecies and the law pointed to Christ, it was never understood that there would be this new nation, that Gentiles and Jews would be part of the same promise. The Old Testament did tell that Gentiles would find salvation, and it did tell that Jews would have the Messiah. But no one knew that this Messiah would bring together these two groups and that Christ would break down these dividing walls of hostility. Verse 6 says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was a mystery, and as Paul says, it was a hidden mystery. It was unknown. And then in verses 8 and 9, Paul says he was given grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here Paul is emphatically saying that the mystery as defined in verse 6 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and up until then was well a mystery. The words translated here are the unsearchable riches of Christ. They seem to indicate that Paul is saying that you could search through the entire Old Testament and by that revelation alone you will not find out that the Gentiles were to be fellow heirs with the Jews. In other words, only looking back at the Old Testament with the revelation that occurred through Jesus Christ that was revealed to his followers, you would be able to see it then. Thank God we have the New Testament. And so as we look back to the Old Testament, we can see this mystery is no longer a secret, but has been revealed to us. Note that Paul says in verse 11 that this was according to the eternal purpose of God. So one can't look at the Old Testament thinking that God had really planned this all for the Jews and only later decided to make it available to the rest of us. Instead, we can rejoice knowing that God intended from the beginning that we would be saved. And this concurs with the rest of Scripture, including the first passage in Ephesians, which tells us that God predestined us for salvation. Hallelujah. The next question then could appear to be a head-scratcher. Why was it hidden? Why would God not reveal his entire plan? Well, it's not always easy to answer those things. Scripture does not reveal to us every nuance of God's plan. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. Why did he keep secret the fact that the Gentiles would be joined together with the Jews into the church, into one body? Well, this part is very exciting. As I studied this passage to prepare the sermon, I realized a very awesome thing. And it's a reminder that God places a great significance on each one of us. And the church holds a special place and has a unique mission that we don't often reflect on. But here it is in Scripture for us to see and try to wrap our heads around. The mystery was kept secret because one of the main characters in this story had not yet been revealed. Like a master storyteller... God left a plot twist that no one saw coming. And this plot twist was a shock to many. Some saw it as a wonderful plot twist and with great joy received it. Others were angry because they felt it diminished the place of one of the early protagonists of the story, which was the people Israel. 
And this plot twist changed the entire direction of the story, at least as far as man could see. But from God's perspective, the plot was set from the beginning. So like an accomplished novelist, God had carefully laid out an outline for his redemptive story. He always knew where it was going to be headed. However, he decided to bring in this one fantastic element at the perfect time that would begin to bring all of the plot elements together. And the Bible refers to that in Galatians 4.4 as the fullness of time. These plot elements were woven together with no error, but with the precision of a mathematician. It's like a formula beautifully laid out on a clean blackboard. And just as those who know the language of math appreciate the beauty of a complicated problem carefully laid out and finally solved, those of us who receive the knowledge of Christ can see the beautiful handiwork of a creative God who knew before time how he would lay out his plan of redemption and how the antagonist of the story, death, and its weapon, sin, would be defeated by the superhero of all time, Jesus Christ. And this story is our story because God has an eternal purpose. He predestined us to be recipients of his grace and now we are part of that story. How? We are part of the mystery being revealed. And the story is about the wisdom of God who carefully planned out every detail and he left no strings hanging. If a novelist concludes properly, the last chapter of their story will tie up all the loose ends. And with God's story, all the loose ends only appeared to be loose ends by those who were unable to see or unable to fathom the final purpose and beauty of God's plan. And so we see here in this passage that Paul, given this task by God to reveal or to unveil the mystery, is his humble task. See that he does not glorify himself here. He dares not. He considers himself the least of all saints and humbly accepts God's purposes for him. So in verse 9, he says, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. But now in verses 9 and 10, we see that we are now part of the story. We have a part to play. We have a duty and a responsibility to take part in God's plan. For it says here that through the church, that's you, that's me, the manifold witness, wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers or authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We, the church, have this part, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And who do we make it known to? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. A careful study of this passage reveals that Paul is clearly saying here that because this was a mystery, that Jews and Gentiles who are saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ and become a new people group, that the angels are learning about God's wisdom through the church. As they witness the church, 
growing together in unity, receiving salvation without regard to genetics or any other dividing factor, they are learning about the manifold wisdom of God. And this may seem surprising. We tend to think of angels as God's messengers, and indeed that is what the word translates to. We think this because angels in the Bible seem to know God's plan. We think of Gabriel, who appeared to Mary and Joseph. We think of the angels who warned Lot in the Old Testament. Certainly angels know much of God's plan, but even they did not know about his plan for the church. This goes for bad angels as well, or demons. Even Satan, who knew Scripture very well and still uses it today in a twisted manner, he did not see this coming. The master storyteller did not reveal, even to his servants, the good angels, the depths of his plans. And neither did Satan understand fully when he thought he had thwarted God's plan at the crucifixion that actually he was sealing his own fate because Christ has defeated death. Now Peter writes as well about the angels and their interest in this. In 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 10, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. As one person put it, the church thus becomes the university of angels, and for each saint becomes a a professor. Only in the church can the angels come to an adequate comprehension of the grace of God. They look at the church to investigate the mysteries of redemption. Peter speaks of the things which the angels have a passionate desire to stoop down and look into, like the golden cherubim that overshadows the mercy seat, or ever gazing on the sprinkled blood that is upon it. The preposition para, beside, is prefixed to the verb stoop down, which speaks of angels as spectators viewing the great plan of redemption from the sidelines, not being participants in it. So we see that the unified church, the body of Christ, reveals to the angels and to the demons the manifold wisdom of God. God is showing his wisdom through us. So don't take lightly your responsibility to serve him well. And don't take lightly your responsibility to make peace among your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And don't belittle yourself thinking that you have no role in this story or that you're a mere extra in it. God has made you part of the story. He has put you on the stage. He tells part of the story through you. And God did this intentionally, laying out his plans from start to finish before he spoke those words, let there be light. Before the foundation of the world, God predestined you for salvation. 
He calls you now and wants you to take seriously your role in the story. He wants you to realize that he adopted you. He wants you to realize that the antagonist, death, and sin have been defeated already. He wants you to realize that he has shown us the manuscript and we can be assured that he wrote the happy ending that will come true. God is not the brothers grim. His are not fairy tales. His are not stories for mere entertainment. Rather, those talented storytellers like the brothers Grimm or Charles Dickens or C.S. Lewis or others, they can draw us into their wonderful stories because in our hearts we know there's a master storyteller. There is a master novelist, a master producer, who continues to reveal his grand story until the wonderful day that will come and we will see the wonderful completion. Then we will know that all of these beautiful stories we have read or heard or seen acted out on a stage or screen are but dim shadows of the divine story. The mystery has been revealed, and it is us. We are the church, and we are the hope of the world. Even the angels and demons are learning God's wisdom through the church. And that makes us a wonderful part of God's story. When an actor or actress prepares to perform, they get into the part, right? They not only put on the makeup and costume, but they mentally put themselves into the part. Many actors will spend weeks or years even preparing. They'll read about the character. They'll even act the part offstage, some of them. They fully immerse themselves into the character. You are a character, but yours is not a fictional role. You'll be listed in the credits. The credits will say, playing himself or playing herself. Your character is the one adopted by the king. Your character is the one saved by the hero. Your character is the one teaching the angels. So when are you going to get into character? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word this morning through the Apostle Paul, but we know it's your word that you gave him to write down. And we thank you, Lord, that you've revealed this mystery to us. And you've given us a part to play. I pray, Lord, that we would be immensely encouraged by this. The idea that you have placed us into your grand story of redemption. And Lord, I pray that we would reflect on how well we're playing our part. And may you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, give us the empowerment to do all that you've called us to do. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.